ask you to turn in your Bibles, please, to the New Testament and Paul's little pastoral epistle to Titus. So Titus chapter 2, it's page number, if you have a pew Bible, it's page number 1829, 1829. We're going to read from uh, verse 9 of chapter 2 through the verse 8 of chapter 3. Now, Titus is uh, pastoring a church or churches on the island of Crete. This is in the first century. And Paul in this second chapter is encouraging Titus to make sure that his people, that the churches, understand the importance of good works attending the story of good news. Now we we are saved by grace alone, by faith alone, through the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Those alones are so important. Saving faith is in Christ alone, but that saving faith is always accompanied by good practice, good habits, as we'll read in verse 8 of chapter 3, good works. So let us hear the word of God as it's found in Titus chapter 2, commencing our reading of verse 9. Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, sell us for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving furious lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Saviour toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Amen. So reads uh, God's word. And just let's uh, find a moment's prayer. Heavenly Father, As we turn to your precious word, we pray for your help. 
pray for the enabling of the Holy Spirit to understand what your word says, for grace to explain it clearly, and for each of us to believe it humbly, that we might live in the light of this precious word faithfully. To the glory of Jesus Christ, we ask it. Amen. Amen. Friends, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness or meekness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now, several weeks ago, we began a little series on the fruit of the Spirit. And we did so in part to answer the question, how do I know that I'm a Christian? The scripture says in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Well, what should I be looking for in that test? What evidences, what proofs should be displayed that would confirm or demonstrate that I am what I claim to be? Well, if you're a Christian, this fruit will be manifested. It will be seen in your life. That's why we read from Titus chapter 2 and into the third chapter. Paul writes to this young pastor in an environment that was particularly challenging, urging him to get everything right, to get his his leadership right, to get his doctrine right, to get his teaching right, and make sure that the uh, Christians understood that there was a direct relationship. There is a direct correlation between faith and practice. In other words, True belief will reveal itself in right behavior. So do you see what I'm saying, beloved? The good news of Jesus Christ and the good works that he mentions to Titus in verse 8 of chapter 3, those uh, that faith and good works in Jesus Christ, they're supposed to go hand in hand. Hopefully, you will have picked that up during the course of our reading from from Titus 2 and 3. Paul is saying, when when your people, Titus, when they get a grasp of this, when they get a hold of of this, then in every area of life and at every stage of life, if they live this way, they will, as he says in chapter 2, verse 10, They will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So beloved, do you see what he's saying? He's saying that they will make the gospel the story of good news about the Lord Jesus Christ attractive. So that those who have never heard that story. Or who have significant questions about that story are not turned off by the ugliness of the lives of those who profess to believe the story. But rather they see such sweetness, they see such palatableness in the lives of those 
who profess this and who want to tell them the story that they actually find themselves saying, I would like to hear more about this. I want to know more about this Jesus as a result of what I am seeing in you. The NIV uh, translates uh, the second part of verse 10, make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. You live in such a way that the gospel of God our Savior is attractive in your life? Are you a living testimonial to the teaching of God our Savior? Now, on each occasion we have turned to Galatians 5, 22, 23, we have sought to make sure that we are clear concerning three truths. Number one, that what we are dealing with here, this fruit, is the product of the Holy Spirit's ministry in the life of the child of God, in the life of the one who has been born again. It's not uh, an imitation. It's not uh, produced by law, not produced by us deciding to turn over a new leaf. It is the product of spiritual life uh, in the heart of the child of God brought about by God. It's the life of God lived uh, through us. Secondly, it follows that this fruit is then the evidence of the individuals abiding in Christ. That's what Jesus said in John 15. Jesus says, I am the fine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And so it's the fruit of the ministry of the Spirit. It's the evidence of the believers abiding or walking in Christ. And thirdly, it is the fruit that is produced in each believer in all its parts. Fruit here in Galatians 5, it's a collective noun. Uh, The Spirit is not just producing uh, one characteristic or one segment of the fruit in the individual life. You know, so you can't be sitting there saying, I'm a Christian, and, um, well, you know, there's there's patience in my life, and there is also... uh, Um, you know, peace in my life. You know, that's the fruit that's in my life. But somebody over here, uh, well, they they have love and they have joy. And when we get together, we compliment each other. No, that's not what he's saying at all. He, He is saying that all nine fruit, all of these segments, characteristics, make up, are produced in the individual Christian life. That's that's what makes this so challenging. This is like the, having the searchlight of uh, God's word turned upon our hearts. What we know about ourselves and what we know God knows us to be. You know, some of these segments may be obviously greater in evidence than others in the life, but they all must be there. Test yourself. Examine yourself. Because God has as his purpose the creating of a whole, integrated, Christian character. In short, he is making us like the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So that we can say with Paul from Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ. Now this morning we come to two elements, kindness and goodness. I'm going to take both together. Simply because there is little distinction between the two. In fact, the words themselves are often used interchangeably in Scripture. Kindness is sometimes translated gentleness. And uh, if you look at Galatians 5.23, you will see that actually another Greek word is translated gentleness. And that's because these words are so close in their shade of meaning. It's not that they're hard and fast. They tend to overlap a bit. Now, you might ask yourself, well, if there's little distinction between kindness and goodness, uh, can we say if there's any distinction at all? Well, perhaps we could say that goodness is to be thought of as more active than kindness. And you say, well, Billy, what do you mean? Well, think of kindness in terms of disposition of heart and goodness as the expression of that disposition. So we have disposition, that which is internal, that attitude, that core element, and then the expression of it as it is worked out and seen in the life. Now, before we get to that. It's vitally important that we realize that this kindness and goodness is grounded in the character of Almighty God. And David Nestor, if you want to lower the blinds and keep the sun off your eyes, you won't disturb anybody in doing that. And I'm just throwing that out there. But anyway, just in case, uh, you know, you're inwardly uh, groaning and saying, well, why the theology? Why are you bringing God into this? Uh, Why do we need to know about the character of God? Why the God stuff? Well, come on, obviously, we meet here each Lord's Day to worship God. And we desire to learn more about God as he has revealed himself to us in his word and through his son, Jesus Christ. And so it's, it's, it's no surprise that we start with God and not with ourselves. We must always start with God. Our focus always has to be on God. You see, it's by understanding who and what God is that we are able to make sense of who and what we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here are several portions of Scripture to give you an idea of what I'm driving at. Um, You don't need to turn them up. You can take a note of them. Look Look them up later for yourself. But the first Scripture... From Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9, where the psalmist says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He is slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. People ask, who is God? People ask, who is God like? You know, you might get some wag at university saying to you, you know, as the God of the Old Testament, he's full of wrath and anger and rage. But you come to the New Testament 
and uh, everything's evolved and God's different and he's more loving. That's a load of nonsense. Like, you know, the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And throughout the Old Testament, God says and says through his prophets and says through his servants that he is kind, he is compassionate, he is merciful, he is loving. And that is what God is like. We know he is like this. He is a good God, good to all. He is compassionate, he is gracious, he is faithful. He speaks to us, speaks to us through his word, speaks to us in creation, speaks to us through the spirit who convicts and convinces us of our sin. He is kind in all of his works that he does. And that's why the psalmist is able to go on in that psalm and in the light of what he had said in verses 8 and 9, he's able to say in verse 14 that God upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. My friends, it's not unusual on a morning like this to find uh, some people who have come through the doors of this little chapel and quite honestly, that describes you. you you've tripped up. Uh, you've, you've stumbled. And you're you're falling and you feel yourself to be bowed down and you're not sure if you will ever be able to get up again or at least back to where where you were and so what do you need well you need you need to know what God is like that he is a God as we've been seeing on Wednesday evenings from the little epistle of Jude is able to keep you from stumbling he, he is the God who is compassionate God who is good, who is faithful to his promises and can be trusted. His tender mercies are over all his work. And if you're born again, you're a work of grace. And he has promised to carry it through to completion. The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. That was the, the first scripture from, from the psalm. Second one from the little uh, prophecy of Hosea. Hosea chapter 11. The chapter begins, when Israel was a child, I loved him. So that's the picture of God dealing with his people. When Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I called my son. And first two of chapter 11 goes on to imply that the more they were called, the more they went away. Oh, isn't that amazing? God is calling him, calling his child. And the more he calls, the more they, they go their own way. The more he told them what to do, the more he tells them how much he loves them, the more, the more they go on and do what they like. And they kept sacrificing to idols. And yet he said, given all of that rebellion and that disobedience and that turning away from God, given all of that, he says in verse 3 and 4 of chapter 11, it was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I drew them with gentle cords. 
with bands of love. And I was to them as those who take the yoke from the neck. I stooped. I stooped. And fed them. Marvellous. Our God stooping. Despite their rebellion. Despite their wandering. God is toward them as a father to his child. As a tender farmer towards his cattle. You've just been singing, I have found a friend, oh such a friend. He loved me ere I ever knew him. And he drew me with the cords of love. And thus he has bound me to him. Beloved, God is not in the business of wrenching people's arms out of their sockets in order to draw them to himself. No, God is one who comes ever so gently. He is one who comes in kindness and in goodness, in the awareness of our predicament. Oh, he is good to all. In fact, if you jumped into the New Testament, and this is the third portion of Scripture, Jesus is speaking. He's encouraging his followers to declare themselves to be truly his followers by the way in which they deal with individuals who are not like them at all. And Jesus says in Luke 6.35, he says, you know, that God is kind. God is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Oh, what is God like? He is kind to the unthankful and the evil. His kindness is on influenced by the gratitude or ingratitude of those to whom it is shown. He says, I, I called out to my people. I led them in kindness and uh, tenderness. I drew them to myself with cords of love. They rebelled against me, went their own way. They sacrificed to foreign gods and to idols. But God's kindness, you see, is not inhibited by the reaction of those upon whom he sets his love. And that's the point Paul makes in uh, Romans chapter 2, which is the next text I just want to draw your attention to. You know, in Romans 1, as you well know, as you well know the predicament of man outside of Christ is led out and he takes on the question when he gets into chapter 2 of the Jewish people. You know, do they have some kind of special connection with God that can be employed for the, well, for the well-being of their soul? And Paul says, listen, I hope you're not misunderstanding God's patience. I hope he says in the beginning of Romans chapter 2 that you don't interpret the patience of God is weakness on the part of God. And he says, don't you realize that God's goodness is meant to lead you to repentance? If all of you this morning repented of your sin, and God has been so good to you, you know, like those children in Hosea 11 and God's calling, God's been so good and you're turning away from him. You're trusting in your own righteousness. God is patient. 
Paul says, oh, the goodness of God towards you and what he has given to you should lead you to repentance. And then we read in Titus chapter 3, didn't we? Titus 3, verse 4, the kindness or goodness and love of God our Savior appeared. Where did it appear? In whom did it appear? Well, in Jesus Christ, at the incarnation when God became man. And he was displayed in the flesh. God's kindness, his goodness, receives its ultimate expression in the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we look at Jesus, and we see how Jesus lived, we see what Jesus did, how he dealt with people, then we understand something of the character of the God that we are worshipping here this Lord's Day morning. Isn't it amazing that God is so kind to us? Isn't it amazing that God is so good to us? What an amazing thing that God would love those who didn't love him. He loved me ere I knew him. That God would seek those who were running in the opposite direction from him. That he would show his kindness in order to soften our hearts and open our eyes and make us realize that if we got what we deserved, it would be dreadful because we would deserve his wrath and his justice and eternal hell. And yet he gives us, gives us something that we're entirely undeserving of. His mercy and his grace and the forgiveness of our sins. It's amazing, isn't it? Now, all of that has to form the foundation in which we think about building both kindness and goodness into our lives. We are created in the image of God. And when you think about it, the entire Godhead is involved in this. Kindness and goodness defined in the character of the Father, displayed in the person and the work of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and produced in the life of every believer by the work of the Holy Spirit shed abroad in our hearts. You see, when grace begins to refine a heart, when this fruit is produced in the life of the child of God, then we begin to make more than a passing interest in those around us. Maybe you think, well, this is all fairly routine, Billy. This at the end of the day is nothing more than being nice. You know, just be a nice person. <laughs> it's not about being nice. This is not natural virtue. You understand that? This is not being nice to nice people that we have decided who are nice people. You know, Jesus said, you know, if you're thinking like that, hold on a minute. You, know, you, won't get a, you won't get away with that. Remember what he said, if you're simply kind and good and nice and loving to those who are good, kind, nice and loving to you, there's no reward in that. Because even the ungodly know how to give good gifts to their children. Niceness. Come on, niceness. You can find niceness in your next door neighbor. 
You can find niceness in lots of places. Well, what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, what I want you to do is this. And here's the rub. Okay, here's the challenge. I want you to learn to do what God does. I want you, as a result of the Spirit's work within your life, teaching you what God is like and what God is, what God does. I want you to display that character of God in your life. God's kindness reaches to the wicked and to the ungrateful, to the rebel, to the lost. I think that went through. Maybe you don't want to deal too much with the wicked. After all, you can cite the first back to me, you know, uh, bad company corrupts good manners. manners. I don't want to be near the don't want to be near the wicked. You know, they're they're so ungrateful. You know, if you do something for them, they just uh, they just take it take advantage of you. You know, treat you like a like a sucker, like a doormat. They just use you. They throw it back in your face. And you're saying, be kind to the wicked, be be good to the wicked. And, you know, if that's the deal. Uh, forget it. Well, come on. What if God did that? What if God did that to us? You know, yet, yet he comes to us again and again and again. In spite of all the wickedness of our hearts. You see, kindness and compassion and forgiving spirit, they are woven together in the fabric of Grace. Can you really say that you're a kind person if you hold a grudge? Can you for a moment consider yourself as having a kindly disposition if you refuse to forgive? You see, the kindness that is produced in our lives has to be akin to the kindness of the God that we are worshipping. In other words, it has to be uninfluenced by the gratitude or the ingratitude of those to whom we show kindness. And this kindness also is displayed it's, uh, displayed to those who are incapable of returning you any favour. You know, you give assistance or support or give a gift to someone yeah, you don't expect anything in return. You know, we've appealed in the notice sheet for, for hospitality. What a great way to display what we're talking about in relation to the fruit of the Spirit within the fellowship here of God's people. The extending hospitality. You know, there, there are aged saints in the church who, who spend Sundays alone. Yeah, some folks disagree, but I think Sunday is probably one of the best days for showing hospitality. Getting folks around and uh, sharing fellowship with them. Are we prepared for the unexpected guest? You shop on Saturday praying, Lord, going to get some extra provisions here because I'm praying for the person you will bring to church tomorrow. 
and be ready to invite them home, spend time with them. You're ready for the unexpected guests because some have entertained angels unaware because they give hospitality to strangers show kindness to strangers, just little, little acts of kindness. I'll go off on a tangent for a second, um, not totally unrelated. I had a great, by God's grace, I had a great time last weekend down in Dudley. Preached uh, last Sunday morning at the end of the service, standing at the door. Uh, a man in his 70s came, shook my hand, and then he opened up his Bible, pulled out of his Bible a uh, photograph from back in the 70s of himself and three other squatties beside the Land Rover with their SLRs, combat gear. Explained to me the, the 10 tours of duty in the province during that uh, troubled period. Ten tours of duty, I said to myself. Uh, he hasn't been in the province for ten tours of duty without um, losing some of his friends. And I said to him, you know, uh, no doubt you left, lost some of your friends in those tours of duty. And he said, yeah, I did. And he says, that, that's why I have these in. And he turned his ears around so that I could see the hearing aids. Blown up by an IRA bomb. And they took him to, uh, and then he stopped and he says, Would you happen to know, by any chance, would you happen to know somebody called Gladys Blackburn? <laughs> Boy, Gladys was instrumental in my conversion, like. And I said, Yeah, no, Gladys. He said, Wow. He says, Gladys was instrumental in my conversion, and he went and got his wife. And his wife said, he never stops talking about Gladys Blackburn. And Gladys went to him in prison, or in the, in the hospital, Musgrave Park Military Hospital. Gladys went and gave him a little tract, spoke to him about Jesus. Now he says, I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amazing. And I often think, you know, Gladys never married, never had children. I often tell you, you know, if she was standing up here, you wouldn't see, you wouldn't see her behind this pulpit. And I just thought, you know, I've just met a, a spiritual sibling here. You know, one of, one of Gladys' converts, spiritual brother. You know, see, in heaven, I wonder, will we be gathered around Gladys? Loyalist terrorists, Republican terrorists, soldiers, police officers, prison officers, nurses and doctors that you spoke to, gathered around her with Jesus as her spiritual children. Little acts of kindness. I'll just pass on a track and tell somebody about Jesus. No soldiers who were injured. She would write to their mothers. She would write to their wives. Little acts of kindness. Well, here's a thought. Can you imagine what our lives would be like? Can you imagine what our homes would be like? Our communities would be like? Our colleges? 
and our universities would be like. If those of us who profess to know the Lord Jesus Christ and love the Bible and we are into the whole deal, if we as evangelical Christians as a group within this nation took seriously what God says that we are supposed to be and supposed to do and we started to work out and live out this fruit in our lives, what an explosive impact it would have in our nation Remember, beloved, Jesus says, you know, I was hungry and I was in prison. And they said to him, nah, you weren't. When were you ever hungry? When were you ever in prison? And he said to them, and as much as you have done it to the least of one of these, my brethren, you have done it to me. Because when I was in prison, you visited me. When I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was sick, You came to me. Some people read that and they say, well, there you are. Jesus is saying, you know, that good deeds can earn you admittance into heaven. No, he's not. What he's saying is that that expression of kindness and goodness provides a vital evidence, vital proof that we are bound for heaven. I know that long after sermons have been preached, And they've been forgotten. People will remember little acts of kindness. They will always remember kindness. You, you can remember, can't you? You can remember if you were brought up in an evangelical household. You can remember school teachers that were kind to you. School teachers and Sunday school teachers. On account of their Kindness. You can say it was instrumental in leading me to Christ. A work colleague, maybe. A neighbor. On account of kindness. Still remember it. Fascinatingly, and with this, we'll stop in a moment. Meet around the table when we sing our next hymn. You know, when Peter preached in the Acts of the Apostles in the house of Cornelius. He's the opportunity to lay out the whole scope of salvation as is found in Christ. And he talks about Jesus. And you know one of the phrases that he uses right there in the heart of it all. Peter says of Jesus, this is what he says. He went about doing good. And beloved, I think, I pray, we get the point. Go and do likewise. Amen.